Welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. My guest today is my friend Hunter Mobley. He is the executive pastor of Christ Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's also an attorney who teaches at Belmont University. Hunter's done a lot of Enneagram work. He's a two on the Enneagram like me, and we're going to talk about many things today having to do with how we see the world and how we wish we could do life better. Glad you've joined us. Welcome to the Enneagram Journey. I'm so excited today on this podcast to be able to introduce you to Hunter Mobley, who I journey with in Enneagram wisdom and friendship and other good things. Hunter lives in Nashville. He's the executive pastor at Christ Church. He is a law professor at Belmont University, but more important to me than all of that, he's a really good friend of mine. And I'm so glad to be here with you today, Suzanne. I'm so glad that you are too. And I, I thought we might spend some time since you're in your second, almost heading into the third year of the apprentice program with me. Yes. And since we've had an opportunity to do some other work together, mm -hmm. um, I kind of want us to take a little bit deeper dive today in talking right. about your two-ness on the Enneagram and mine and um, how we are using what we're learning. I always want everybody to be able to track with us. So let's start with some basics about us as twos. Why don't we do some as a two I? Okay. Maybe we'll do about 10 sentences and we'll alternate. Okay. 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 All right, you go first. As a two, I have a hard time saying no. As a two, I tend to pretend like I love everybody, but I don't. As a two, I have a tendency to interrupt in conversation. As a two, I uh, help people who don't want my help and give advice to people I've never met. As a two, I carry sort of uh, undercurrent of consistent but not seen anxiety. As a two, I feel guilty on an airplane or at church or in a restaurant if somebody else has a need that isn't being met and my needs are. As the two, I really am glad to, if I love you, I'm really glad to go with your agenda, your preference, your goal, if I can go with you and be a part of it with you. As a two, I am most comfortable around twos and nines and twos and nines. That's a good one, Suzanne. I'm, you know, I am as a two, and I hate to say, I'm, I'm going to say this and, and you kind of correct me, but because you went with the kind of who we sometimes generally feel comfortable with, mm -hmm. I'm going to say that the number that can be sometimes for me as a two, the most uh, challenging to just kind of get past the initial layer of friendship with is fives. And for me, that's really because um, fives sometimes 
are not the quickest to just kind of give you their emotional selves. And so I do have some really good friends and and colleagues that are fives, but it kind of took us a minute to get to a place where we were both able to see each other really well. I, I struggle a little bit with fives too, because I'm so affectionate Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm trying to be mindful to not ask anything too personal and to not touch without permission and I, you know, I, I'm just not very good at that. Right, right. Okay, I've got another one I'm thinking of. As a two, most of my showers are spent having conversations with people that I'm angry with. That's embarrassing, but that's true. Well, as a two, uh, usually when I'm showering, Joe is shaving. So I'm not having conversations with people that I'm angry with but <laughs> in the car. Yes. I have conversations with people who I feel like I'm going to have to defend myself to. Yes. Yes. That's good. And of course, when I say angry with, really, I mean people who I feel like exposed with or I feel um, in some way that there's kind of been a breakdown in the relationship. Anger for me, of course, comes out when I feel like that someone doesn't like me, someone hasn't received me, someone isn't, doesn't see me. Um, yeah. yeah. Tricky. It's so mm-hmm. tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it is tricky. It is tricky. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about challenges, N- not with specific numbers um, and, and maybe just personal challenges. And then we'll apply the Enneagram to that. Okay. Okay. Um, you struggling with anything these days? Man, I, you know, I, I think a, a personal challenge that I consistently struggle with is how to how to kind of not become totally enmeshed in institutions that I'm a part of. That's something that I kind of I feel like I've I've done some work around relationships and people because that's kind of intuitive that I I needed to do some work in that area and. Um, I think for a two, at some point in your life, certain relationships become tricky enough to where you have to kind of do a little codependent work to become healthy. Um, but I think what can be, what was unseen for me is the way in which I can also do that for institutions, not just for people. And so I think that's a, that's something that I have to, that I'm just kind of like working with in, in my job right now is just how to how to appropriately and healthily care for and, and, and love the institution and not kind of lose myself identity-wise in it. It's not so much for me about working too hard or, or like giving actually too much time to an institution. It's, it can be just about tying my soul and essence too closely to an institution. I want to talk about that for a few minutes because I'm going to give an example. Okay from doing the same thing. And then we'll talk through that together. Yeah. So, you know, um, Joe's a United Methodist pastor and we're appointed for a year at a time to a church by the bishop. And he's been in ministry in the Methodist church now for 30 years. So this is way back. But when we first came into ministry, I would be aware of people who didn't appreciate Joe's ministry or his way of leading and all that. And those were the people that I would go after (laughs) to try to 
to use Richard Rohr's language, to try to seduce them into liking me and liking him. Hmm. And my connection institutionally has, as I look back, has always been that I go looking for the person who's not happy, believing that I can make them happy. Right. Kind of like I do if I'm teaching and I go after the person in the room who's not happy. Right. Is that some of what you're talking about? Or are you talking about something completely different? No, I, that that's similar to what I'm talking about. I um, I think for me, something that I've learned is, uh, and I kind of want to explore this with you, see if you agree with this or not, Suzanne. I um, The institution that I'm serving in primarily is what I would call a turnaround institution. Rather than, you know, there's also emerging institutions, there's growing institutions, there's stable institutions, there's declining institutions. Right. The one that I'm serving in is a turnaround. So it's not declining, uh, but it's also not stable. It's also not growing. It's old. And so it's kind of in a second life sort of turnaround mode. I think in a way what I'm describing is similar to what you're saying, that for twos in a turnaround institution... There is always a set of eyes on you asking, where's the rabbit that you're going to pull out of the hat to kind of fix all this or to change all this or to bring back what we had at a certain point or to get us what we need to have in the future? So it's, it's kind of it's like crack for it, too. I mean, it's it's um, it's exciting to lead in that way. It's also. I think particularly challenging for a two in a turnaround organization because the question is always being asked kind of how can the institution be made happy? So I think we're, we're saying a similar thing in that regard. Yes. We might be also saying how can the institution move forward without conflict and without uh, anybody being hurt? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so timely in a way because one of the things that you know I've been working on is orientation to time. Right. So threes, sevens, and eights are oriented to the future. Fours, fives, and nines are oriented to the past. And ones, twos, and sixes are oriented to the present moment. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I am discovering about myself is that while my orientation to time is to what's right in front of me, so in a turnaround institution, I would be oriented to whoever's standing in front of me and whatever they need and whatever I feel like I need to give them. Right. At the same time, uh, I keep finding myself in the future. Hmm. There's kind of an if if I'm not successful at making this person comfortable and safe and happy and whole, then what's going to happen? Right. Do you do that? Oh, yeah, I do that. In fact, I I had... A little trouble kind of initially hooking into the fact that ones, twos, and sixes are oriented to the to the present moment because I do feel like that um, I spend a lot of time thinking about the future, but I think I spend a lot of time thinking about the future in light of am I happy right now? Am I fulfilled right now? What's happening right now? What if what what if everything goes wrong right now? And so I, I agree. I think in a way I'm kind of making some future contingency plans based on what's happening in the moment. All right. So you are familiar enough with my teaching to know that I say that ones, twos, and sixes chain. 
they right. they suffer chaining. So our listeners might not know what that is. So I'm going to talk about that for a minute, and then let's connect that to this conversation. Great. Um, when we were children, uh, at least in my generation, I don't know about yours, we used to make construction paper chains at Christmas time, and you would cut strips of paper and hook them through the last circle that you created and glue them together and then do another and another and another. And we would decorate the room or Christmas trees or uh, whatever. I mean, it seems like we made them a lot. And um, I adopted that understanding of connecting things to one another because I wanted to be able to talk about the fact that ones, twos, and sixes tend to connect events, particularly hurtful or threatening events, to every other hurtful or threatening event that has happened and that might happen. And I wonder if um, I wonder if there's a way that you've found to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really working on not chaining, on just staying with this is happening right now. And, and my circumstances in life were completely different 10 years ago. So I don't need to connect this to that. Right. Are you right? I, <laughs> I need to work on it, Suzanne. I don't know if I am working on it. I, I it's it's certainly not intuitive to work on to yeah. you know f- for us. Um, so I I think that in some ways the only ways in which I've begun to work on it is really picking up some of the teaching that you have done for sixes, where we sort of talk about hey, let's spend a moment even in a kind of a journaling moment, going back through all the, all the worst case scenario things that you planned for, all the contingencies that you've made and figure out how many of those really occurred. And I think for, for chaining and twos, there's a little bit of a similar exercise to kind of be done. It's like how much of kind of asking yourself, how much of this is really true? How much of this is really is really right thinking mm-hmm. and productive thinking. So, so the, the closest that I've come to working on chaining, which is not, is not close enough is, is really probably even stance work kind of thinking about what does it mean for me to do productive thinking? What does it mean for me to ask myself good questions? And um, the chaining piece sort of always begs the question is this is this just the story that I'm telling myself in my head? And actually, I have begun to introduce that language. This weekend, I was with somebody having dinner, and I was kind of describing a relational difficulty that I'm having with a coworker. And and I I tried to kind of catch myself using the language. Okay, the story that I'm telling myself is just so I could kind of begin to trigger to them and to me. This might not be true. Right. It probably isn't true, but it is the story that I'm telling myself. So it, it's it's worthy of of honor, and it's worthy of kind of putting being put on the table. But we might be able to circle back and see that it's not the only story that could be told about what's happening. Sure. So I have a couple of things that I want to bring up for us to talk about, and one is in the story that you tell yourself. Are you usually going to lose something relationally? That when I'm telling myself a negative story, yes. 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 Yeah. If if the story that I'm telling myself is sad, 
what it means is probably down the line a relationship is going to end or it's going to be strained or it's going to be broken or it's going to be not even a relationship that I have that's going to be broken. It's going to be like a relationship within my community is broken. Um, and, and maybe it's something that I can't put together right. or fix. Right. And every broken relationship in our communities, if we're twos, affects us also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bodily affects us. I mean, it, it, you feel it in your gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm embarrassed to tell you this. But I'm I'm going to tell you and everybody else, I guess, who's listening. <laughs> um, I just want to say one more thing about chaining before we get too far away from that. So what I've learned with feedback from Joe, my yeah. husband, who you know I adore, is that I can chain 30 years mm. on the same topic. Mm. So my new spiritual practice around chaining is to only allow myself to go back five years. That's good. It right. is a good practice. Baby but steps. It's yeah. But it's ridiculous, <laughs> right? So Joe's thrilled because we, we took 25 years out of the process. <laughs> so he thinks it's going to be so much better. Right, right. We're only going back to a wiser, more mature Joe. So this is good. Right? That's good. It's good. And, and, and yet... I think the very idea that I'm saying the words, I'm only going to go back five years is actually what's going to be the most beneficial Mm -hmm. because I have to keep looking at the fact that I'm choosing to go back five years. Right. 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 So um, two years into doing some serious Enneagram work, tell me two or three things you've learned about twos that you think would be helpful for everybody. Well, here's something that I, here's kind of a, a piece that I'm working with right now is I think as two, so, so we have this idea, of course, with Enneagram that there's a certain number that you can have access to some of the behaviors and some of the attributes for in stress. And then there's another number for security. And I think for twos, we spend a lot of time thinking about eight, which is where twos can move to in stress. Because we have this idea that twos can only say no by accessing kind of some good eight boundaries. So what I found is it's kind of like I've spent a lot of time thinking about eight and what does it look like to go to the, the high side or the healthier side of eight and not the low side. But I have not spent much time thinking about what does the healthy side versus the, the low side of four look like in security. And so I think for me, what I, what I, one important thing that I, I think is, is good for everyone that's a two working with Enneagram to know is that you do not naturally go to the high side of four when you're secure. True. That is and, so true. And that has been, that's just not been something that I had, had really spent much time wrestling with until recently. I've caught myself doing, um, some kind of low four stuff. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you, this is, this seems crazy, but I, I bet there's some twos in, in podcast world that will resonate with this. Here's where I caught myself recently. I was, it was late at night. I was taking a walk, which is like a really de-stressing kind of detoxing thing for me. And so I was, I was feeling good and I had some good music on 
in my headphones. I was walking around the neighborhood and I found myself something about the music that was on kind of a gospel song came up and I found myself spending 30 minutes planning the whole order of service for my funeral on this walk. Now, and and it wasn't a depressing thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't like a, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sad and I'm thinking about death. It was kind of like this low side of force space of accessing kind of this melancholy creative energy to think about this sort of sad moment and what it was going to be like and do I need to curate it and I need to go home and make a list. I mean, I, I know that sounds crazy. It's kind of embarrassing to say, but to me that was just a little way in which um, I was kind of in the lower side of four rather than the higher side of four. And if I don't start to kind of recognize that, right. I'm not going to get to the most creative, um, energetic, inspiring kind of places that I can get to with four space. Does that make any sense or is that crazy? No, that does make sense. And, and you know, uh, it's interesting because when, when we as twos gather together a group of people, we uh, always want to be good hosts Right. And we always want to practice hospitality. And I would suspect that most twos in thinking about death and thinking about funerals and right. services and celebrations uh, would have in mind as they right. plan that event right. how they could best offer hospitality to everybody. It's a right. fascinating thing. I know. That's so I'd say that's something. The other thing, Suzanne, that I'm kind of thinking about that um is one of the meta narratives of the the couple of years that you you and I have worked kind of specifically together is is learning that as a two, um all of my thinking is not thinking. Yeah. <laughs> that has been I mean I have to come back to that every day. All of my thinking is not thinking. A lot of my thinking is feeling and a lot of what, so, so a lot of the scripts that I'm running in my head, a lot of the movie that's playing is based on feelings and relationships and some stories that are true, some stories that aren't true. And it's, it's really been important for me to begin to understand what does it really mean for me to do right, good, healthy, productive thinking? Sure. Interesting in uh, carrying on with your example. The high side of four, I think, offers us an opportunity to name our own feelings. You know, Mm -hmm. fours are so good at wanting you to know and understand what they're feeling and how they're feeling and how it affects them. And we are so not good as twos at any of that. And I I think it's because if we talk about the difference in feelings in twos, threes, and fours, because they're all in the feeling triad, that what we would have to look at there is that twos feel other people's feelings, threes have feelings, and then they set them aside. And fours want their feelings to be deeper and broader and more. So they, if they're sad, want to be sadder, and if they're happy, want to be happier. And I I don't know about you, but for me as a two, the hardest two questions anybody ever asks me are, 
What do you need? And what are you feeling? Yes. Will you talk about those two for a while? Yeah. Can I add a third question, a third question to that that's connected? Because a question that I found in therapy, therapists will ask a lot is, um, where are you feeling this in your body? Mm -hmm. That's a question that I never know how to answer. Um, So it's connected to the two that you're raising. So when people ask me, what am I feeling? I have to kind of, I have to spend some time with that. I can't, I'll generally give an answer quickly because that's, kind of what you do in relationship is you give a quick answer and you sort of move away. But, but what I tend to do, of course, is to kind of project and reframe and get to the other person in some way. Well, I'm good. And I think this is going well and kind of give a good answer, but tell me more about how you're doing with the big move or, um, and, and so what I found is of course, good friends pick up on that and, and we'll sort of stop and say, no, we're not going to go there quite yet. We're going to stay with you for a minute. And, and that's an uncomfortable place to be. Um, but it, it's, it's just not, it's not intuitively kind of wired into me to be able to, to quickly know for myself and to be able to express what I'm feeling. And so what I find, because I'm a verbal processor, I think all twos probably are verbal processors, that what I have to do is I have to do this. I have to kind of if I'm, if I'm with a really good, safe person that I can be intimate with or vulnerable with, I have to just kind of do a lot of words <laughs> and finally kind of get myself to a feeling, uh, to be able to name a feeling kind of through a verbal processing exercise in a way. Uh, it's hard it be, for me to... Well, wouldn't it be interesting for us to practice verbally processing with other twos who know how to listen for that? And see how long it takes us to get to a feeling. But more important to me would be, and I've never thought about this till just now, what are we talking about before we get to a feeling? Do you know the answer to that? Do you know what you're saying as you're verbally processing before you get to the feeling? I think I'm probably talking about a relationship is what I'm is what I'm kind of or, or I'm kind of talking through the way in which all the people around me have sort of impacted what I'm feeling, but I'm not able to kind of name that for myself quite yet. So I bet you were talking about other people. I bet yeah, you the whole time yeah. saying, well, he said this and she did yeah. this and I didn't know what to do. And I, I bet that's what happens with that. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean... Because so much of my life is other is referenced by kind of finding reference points outside of myself in people. Okay. I know. And, Me, and, too. And Me too. Do you have that experience as well, Suzanne, of kind of like if, if somebody is, is wanting you to, ha- to kind of express to them sort of body awareness of kind of where are you feeling this in your body or what are you, are you able to name that? No, I got nothing. <laughs> I don't Nothing. either. I don't Nothing. either. I've 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 told more lies to therapists than I've told you know to anybody when they ask me that. It's like okay, let's just move through this. I'm in my elbow. That's where I'm feeling it. Okay, next question. Well, you know, when you're my age, you get to say I, so many parts of my body hurt. But I think with that. Right? <laughs> well, All right, talk to me about need for a minute. Mm, when people what ask what you need, the tricky thing about need is. I find that when people ask me, what do I need? I have to do kind of 
a mental gymnastics exercise to understand, is it really safe in this relationship for me to truly express real need? Because what you're kind of, the story that I'm telling myself when I hear the question, what do you need? Is I'm telling myself a story of, man, I might push this person away because what I need is just too big for them. Or um, or in other relationships that just aren't as close, you're thinking, this person really doesn't care about me or they, they haven't kind of earned this, this right for me to sort of really tell them what I need. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to really express what I need because it's a hard thing to know. If I just had it at the, at the ready, it's not like I'm – I, I mean, I, I wonder if you would say the same thing, Suzanne. It's not like I'm trying to be evasive or trying to not actually tell a true thing of what I need. It's so kind of buried a little bit in a soup of how am I doing right now? What am I feeling? Am I having anxiety right now? Uh, can I be truly vulnerable here? It's, it's buried in this kind of soup that it takes a little bit to pick it out. So it's, it's not, it's not a, a purposeful withholding. I mean, I, I wonder if there's a, you know, there's probably other numbers that there, there might be a little bit more of a kind of, I know what I need, but I don't know if I trust you to tell you what I need. Mm-hmm. We've got sort of a double layer of, I got to kind of know that you're trustworthy for me to tell you what I need and, and that you're going to, uh, not reject me or not turn away in some way, but also in addition, I've got to figure out what in the world I need. Yeah. And you know, I think there's a third piece and this is brand new for me. I mean, brand new. Yeah. I was just at an event, um, where I was a speaker and people came from all over the country and, uh, it, it was held in a place that doesn't have a huge airport. Okay. And I taught a know your number eight hour day. So you know what that looks like. You've done, I don't know, too many of them, I'm sure. I had meetings in between with people about other things and it was a packed three days for me. And I uh, walked into the airport and I was aware that it was easy for me to manage it because it was small. And then I started thinking about the fact this is going to be one of those airports where I'm going to run into people who have been at the event. Oh, right, right. And then I thought, and they're going to want to talk to me about the Enneagram. Yeah. And so um, I did, and they did, and it all worked out fine. But the thing I learned from that is that if I tell you what I need and you there are two things that happen. Number one, if I tell you what I need, that's so risky for me. What's going to happen to me if you don't meet it? Right. You want to talk about that before I go on to the next one? Does that happen? Man. Oh yeah, it definitely happens to me. And that's kind of one of the saddest places in two space is, is asking that question and kind of really wrestling with that question because so much energy is put into maintaining relationship that when you actually stop to ask the question, what's going to happen to me if you, if I, if I truly express this need and you can't meet it, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for me? Um, That's a, that's a sobering, that's a sobering place. And, and I think that for me, I don't want to go too, too off script. So stop me. But 
I've had, I had a situation recently where I've got a relationship with someone who I love and I care about, and I've had to realize I have to change my expectations for that relationship because what I've needed from that relationship is I've needed that person to kind of say a set of things or do a set of things that, that they just haven't been able to do for a long time. And, you know, it's, you go through the layers of grief about that. And finally, I think in a, in a healthy space, I'm learning to say, I can love this person and I do love this person. And I also have to change my expectations about what this person is able to give me. Exactly. That, that's exactly true for me. Okay, now the next place I want us to go with this is, do you also, when you are saying what you need and you're thinking about somebody meeting it, and we've been through what happens if they don't, but what, what happens if they do meet your need? I'll tell you what goes through my head, but first you tell me. Oh, man. Oh, it's it's kind of scary. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a, a similar thing for me as to when somebody comes up after a speaking event and gives you a really wonderful, genuine, thoughtful compliment. And I'm a little bit kind of in a defensive structure sort of thinking, oh, no, but are they going to love me tomorrow? What if I, what if I can't do it as well next time? We're kind of setting ourselves up for a big disappointment here. So it's kind of similar. If somebody really steps in and meets the need in a way that I'm able to receive it and enjoy it, uh, it's exhilarating because of course, at the end of the day, we're sort of looking for somebody who's looking for us, who's, you know, um, but it's also, there's, there's some scary stuff in there of thinking, uh, can I keep this up? Will this keep going? Uh, am I going to still be enough tomorrow? I mean, do you go there? There it is. You just, you just now got there. My thing that I'm learning about myself is if I say, I really need you to help me with this, or I need you to do this. Yeah. I'm aware now way back in the back of my head that there is this little piece that says, uh, Oh, if they do what I'm asking and if they do meet the need, I'm going to owe them. Oh yeah. I'm going to have to pay it back. You know, we had a a woman who lived across the street from the church parsonage years ago when we were in a small town in Texas. And um, we left that town and she came to hear me teach the Enneagram somewhere, maybe four or five years later. And after I finished teaching twos, she came up to me and she said, well, I finally understand something about you. And I said, what is it? And she said, well, every time I would bring you a casserole or bring you a pie, you always brought me back a casserole. Or you always returned the dish, the pie plate with a pie. Right. And she said, you know, I really wanted to give something to you. But I, and listen to this, but I couldn't keep up. Oh, wow couldn't keep up. So when I brought you a casserole and you brought me a casserole back, then she was saying, I didn't know if I was supposed to bring you another casserole. I I didn't want to be the one who ended that, but I never intended it. Right. Right. So I think one of the things we need to learn about ourselves is when we can't receive without giving back, 
Right. That makes people afraid to give to us. Right. Because they're having the same feeling we are. If I take a casserole, how many am I going to have to make? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and I wonder, Suzanne, do you think it's the case for us when you kind of flip the narrative? I find myself in some relationships when I feel like I can't give back enough or when I can't kind of, I can't keep up with somebody who probably is another two in my life or something. When I can't keep up, sometimes I'll find myself just pulling way back, way, way, way back quick. And you know, that's hurtful. (laughs) When we do that, that's hurtful to people. It's like we give too much. Yeah. And then we're too far in and we don't know how to. Okay. Let's uh, talk about uh, a couple of wonderful things. Okay, good. About being twos. You go first. <laughs> twos, are, um, twos are so relationally oriented that I think a wonderful thing about twos is that there is hardly a social environment that you can put a two in that they don't know how to navigate well. I agree. It could be um, a guy, a, a man who has learned all that God has to teach him by farming. Or the Pope. Right. And we would both be perfectly comfortable with either one. Yes. yes. I love that about being a two. <laughs> I do too. I do too. What else do you love? I love as a two, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, but I, I do. Um, the best part of us is the worst part of us. So right. feeling other people's feelings is has gotten us into a lot of trouble and has cost us a lot. And there are moments and ways though as well where feeling other people's feelings has allowed us to the few handful of people that are really really close to us has allowed us to intervene and um and help them in a well boundary way now it's hard to do that well (laughs) always but that's a beautiful kind of best part of you is the worst part of you think about it too is feeling other people's feelings means that um, for the for the core people who we really, really love, we're sort of able to kind of draw them out sometimes into saying, hey, something's not right with you today. What's going on? Right. And and I find I find that that's kind of a a gift for me and a gift for the other person in relationship is to be able to just kind of walk into the room and just feel feel the temperature of the person. And, and to be able to kind of know, is this a good day or is this a hard day? What's happening here? Yeah. Do you I, feel that way? I do. I do. And another thing I love about me, too, is I'm so comfortable with strangers. Yeah. You know, I can talk to yeah. anybody about anything. I, one of my uh, coworkers is Laura, and she travels yes. some with me. And I flew for the first time, first class, yeah. going yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And I said to Laura afterwards, I said, you know... People in first class don't talk. And she said, actually, Suzanne, people on airplanes don't talk. You talk. I know, I know. Uh, you talk to everybody? You know, I, I've kind of got an on and off switch. And so um, I, 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 I don't talk to everybody. And I think the part of my kind of tuness is like, if I am, if I'm on, I'm on and I talk to everybody. And if I'm tired, I'm off and I'm withdrawing. That's very, and, and some of that, I would, I wonder if, 
I, I think I might be a little bit less social than you are. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. And so um, I am, I'm the type of two that is more hooked into kind of one-on-one relationships. And, yeah. and, and so I, social setting, you know, I'm always going to choose the table with one other person rather than the table with 20 people. Let me tell you one other thing that I love about being a two, Suzanne, that I, that we've talked about some before is, um, I think twos are really bad, bad kind of boundary keepers. Okay. So that's, that's kind of a low side for us personally. Sometimes the beautiful thing about that is, um, we don't, we don't need to live in a world where, uh, social boundaries or spiritual boundaries are just really, really tightly controlled. And so I think one of the things that I love about being a two is you can, you can put me in front of somebody that believes or thinks or lives very differently than, than I do. And man, I'm intrigued by them and I, I can hook into loving them and I want to understand them and I, I want them to be safe. I mean, that's, we, we've talked about that before, like it, particularly in a ministry environment, a ministry environment is tricky for a two because a two really wants to live inside of a centered set community, not a bounded set community. Yes. So centered set communities in a ministry context are usually ones that are kind of hooked into a Jesus story or hooked into whatever the primary kind of faith narrative is. Boundary set communities, of course, are kind of saying, okay, have you gone too far over here? Are you just inside the edges? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Twos are not good boundary community policers. True. <laughs> so twos, twos are, um, man, twos want everybody to sit at the table. Twos want everybody to have a voice at the table. Uh, twos want everybody to get along well. I mean, you know, that's a beautiful thing about being a two. I think the Enneagram is the ultimate thing that kind of says we don't get to do us and them. <laughs> we, 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 we get to do us. And um, that's what I love, particularly when the Enneagram is, is kind of combined with a faith narrative is I think it, it, it is such a bridge building and wall tearing down sort of a tool. Yes, yes. It properly used. It absolutely Yes, properly used. Yeah. Okay, well, unfortunately, we're running out of time. So first thing I want is I want you to promise we can do this again. I want to. I want to. I as do. long as I get to look at your face. I'm sorry that everybody doesn't get to look at your face <laughs> while they just listen to this. Oh, that's this sweet. Is fun for me. It's fun for me too. Um, but I, I I want to try to end every podcast with a, a real upbeat hmm. uh, walk away. Yeah. So here's my uh, container for that for you and me. Uh, tell everybody about your niece. Um, and then after you do that, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, man, I have got the world's best niece, Belle. She's two and a half years old. And she's playing in the other room. We might have heard a little feedback from her on this podcast recording. I hope so. But but she's doing great. She is uh, just full of energy, full of life. And uh, 
always needs to be wearing a princess dress. That's oh. this. That's the phase of life that we're in. So, so she's in her Cinderella dress now. Uh-huh. We've already been in our uh, Elena of Avalor dress earlier this morning. That's so great. I love that as an uncle, you know that. All right. So <laughs> here's the last question. What okay. has Belle taught you in the last month? that you think will enhance your two-ness? Well, the thing that Belle is teaching me is, a, is learning to be present in the moment. Um, being with a little kid, when you've got a little kid looking up at your face and wanting to talk to you and you realize that you keep reaching for your phone, makes you realize these, are the stu- these phones are the stupidest thing ever, and all I need to do is look at this little kid in the face. I mean, she just her kind of excitement and joy at discovering a rock or a flower or a bug under the porch uh, is, is really helping me sort of kind of use my sacramental imagination to find God and love in all things and all moments. Oh, that's so good. Well, Hunter, you know, I love you. I thank you for this time. I love you. I appreciate um, the challenges that come in our conversations since we share a number. We will definitely do it again, and I'll see you soon. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and I hope you learned something new. You can find out where I'll be teaching next at SuzanneStabile.com and we welcome comments and questions at TheEnneagramJourney.org. I hope you'll join us next week. Between now and then, please practice compassion. It makes the world a better place. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.